All right. Well, I pray you had a really fruitful time of fellowship and study and sharing already. And um, kind of just got that glimpse and that um, word from him as you went through this lesson this last week. Um, it was finally a lesson that I kind, kind of caught up with as far as from when we left so many months ago, and I finally was like, okay, now I'm back in, and I actually had to do the study. It wasn't done for me already, and I had to go back, and, and but it was perfect timing because um, it just fed right into, again, I mean, isn't the Lord's word so good to meet us week after week right where we are? Um, it is a witness and a testimony that... Um, his word is alive, and it speaks to our hearts. And that is why we come here. That is why we study his word, because it is his word to our hearts and our minds to correct our thinking, to give us hope, to remind us again and again and again. We are so forgetful, and we need to continue to remind ourselves and look back into his word and see his promises that he is faithful so I'm so glad that we have been able to come back together again, that we are able to open these doors and meet and admonish one, each, admonish one to each other, to encourage one another, to um, just be there for one another and to hear and listen to each other. It, um, it's what he has called us into, and so... I praise him and I thank him for that. So let's, with that, pray and we will get started. Father, I do thank you for how you are watching over every single one of us, Father, that you are sovereignly in control, Father, that that is your word to us again and again, that you have sent your son, that your love has preceded time and it has been proven and it has been testified to and carried down through the ages, kept for us. Lord, you will keep your hand over every one of us, and we want to walk in that truth, no matter the unexpected path that we find ourselves on. Father, that we know, our hearts know that they, it knows that it knows who you are, that it can trust you, that it can follow you, Wherever you are leading, we will never be without your presence. So let that word sink into our hearts and our minds. Let it just surround us with that truth, giving us that boldness and the, that courage that we need to trust you in these days. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I did title my message this morning, The Unexpected Path. Um, and we are going to kind of dive in, but also backtrack a little bit, because we just jumped over a bunch of chapters, didn't we? We um, last wanted to study um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so because of that, and because of the original timeline, to keep it in a um, set number of months, we, we skipped over specifically Joseph's story, but... Um, so as a result, we skipped over several of those chapters. But that is a significant part of Israel's history, and it is a significant part of how and why Israel ended up in Egypt. 
So I don't know if you went back through and read those chapters, but um, in Acts, actually, when Stephen is um, drawn to or brought in front of the Sanhedrin, he very succinctly goes through Israel's history as its witness to them. And I just kind of want to use Stephen's words in Acts to kind of catch us up because it, um, in one chapter, he pretty much covers 2,000 years of Israel's history. So um, let me jump into Acts 7 is where this is found in, 9 through 17. The patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt, yet God was with him and rescued him from all his afflictions and granted him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he made him governor over Egypt and all his household. Now a famine came over all Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction with it, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers there the first time. On the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family was disclosed to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent word and invited Jacob, his father, and all his relatives to come to him, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down to Egypt, and there he and our fathers died. From there they were removed to Shechem and laid in the tomb which Abraham had purchased for a sum of money from the sons of Hamar in Shechem. But as the time of the promise was approaching, which God had assured to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt." And with that, we have just covered 10 verses, or 10 chapters in Genesis. But we see that, um, again, this is not man's plan. This is God's plan. From the beginning, he has determined who, what, where, when, how it will all work out together to bring about, in his perfect timing, to send the Son to bring about our salvation. And that is when we are studying scripture, and specifically that was the heart for this um, study, is to remind us that he will be faithful to complete that plan, that the salvation offered through the Son was the need that was our greatest need, and when that is met, we can trust him for any other lesser need. So we're going to now see that we enter in and we see Jacob gets the news. His, the brothers have returned. Pharaoh has even sent um, supplies to pack everything up. And this revives Jacob's heart and he is ready to go. And so from Bethel to Beersheba, they set off. In verses 1 through 4, we read, So Israel set out with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. He said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will close your eyes. It has been 22 years since Jacob last saw Joseph. This news revives his spirits. He packs everything up. He immediately takes off. And he heads down to Beersheba. And if you looked on a map or if you looked or know the geography of that, that area, um, that is now the southernmost tip of um, Canaan. And 
the only thing now separating them and about to enter Egypt is the desert, so um, the wilderness area. So they have gone to the most southern place, which also you looked up in your um, lesson and noticed that had significance because that is also where um, Abraham and Isaac have offered sacrifices to the Lord, right? So he pauses here and he offers his sacrifices in the place where his father and his grandfather have also done so. But in that, we read that Jacob is afraid. He's afraid to go down to Egypt. And you discussed in your time together why he possibly might have been afraid. There's um, various things we could have brought, drawn out from that and, of course, lessons from that. Um, but what I want to land on is, once again, God coming to make Jacob in that fear. God gives Jacob some very dear promises that once again, he will be with him, that he has been a part of this. But what does Jacob first, or what, excuse me, what does God first say to Jacob before he even gives him those promises? That I think is key. What does he say? I am God. That alone, those three words are all Jacob needed to hear. I am God. We are told in Exodus 14, right? Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand by. Literally take your stand. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. Psalm 46.10, we read last time I was here, um, because again, what it says, cease striving, that inner turmoil that is stirring up our hearts and our minds, literally let that go, because why? I am God. I will be exalted. I will be exalted. Are we holding on to those fears, letting them stir up our angst inside, internally, this in turmoil? Letting that fear, feeding that fear, giving in to that fear, letting it fester, replaying it again and again in our minds. I certainly have been there and know that feeling. And you just let it keep going and you feed it. As long as you keep letting that fester, it keeps feeding itself. So how do we practically help with that fear? How do we turn our minds? How do we redirect our thoughts? Because it can be easy to say, don't fear, right? Don't fear. We have God. Okay, but I'm fearing, so something's not working, right? So what do we do? There are some practical things. And first of all, just even recognizing that battle, that that is a battle. It is a spiritual battle. It is a physical battle in some times. But it is a battle of the mind that we are training ourselves, we are disciplining ourselves towards to, to understand what is real and what is a possible scenario. But even if, what is still real? I am God. I am sovereign. I am faithful. I am good. I am holy. I am worthy. I am trustworthy. We take our mind and we go back to what is true. 
which is why we spend time in study, which is why we spend time with one another, because when, when one of us is kind of dropping out, so to speak, we can take hold, come alongside, remind each other what is true and what a practical thing also we can do with this. We're told and we've been taught and we need to be reminded of our spiritual armor. We must put on our spiritual armor. We have the helmet of salvation, right? We go through your mind, go through that passage. Put on your helmet of salvation. It reminds your mind that you are forever secure in who, what he has done in his salvation that he has offered that cannot be taken away from you. Nothing can ever separate you from that. You are secure. You have the helmet of salvation to guard your mind. You put on the breastplate of righteousness, right? You are clothed, not because of anything you've done or didn't do from a past, from the future, from a current. Nothing you've ever done or did not do earned you that salvation, right? You have the breastplate of righteousness guarding your heart to remind you that you are in Christ. You are covered not because of who you are, but because of who he is. His blood has covered you. When God sees you, he sees his son. Does he love his son any less on a given day? No, he loves his son perfectly, right? And you are in the son. So he will not love you any less than he loves the son. You are covered in his righteousness. You gird your loins with truth. You are loved by God Almighty as have, he has already proven on the cross. So that is your truth. That is your word. That is what we are studying from his plan. He is outside time, right? So this isn't an afterthought. This is his plan from beginning to send his son. That is the truth that we read, that we see. We see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob fail. We see Israel fail. We see man will continually to fail because it's not, and that's the very reason why God sent his son because we can't do it. We wouldn't even do it. We wouldn't even have that heart or mind to seek after him, we're told. He has done it all. And we take up the shield of faith. We remind ourselves that those fiery darts are taken by the shield of faith, right? That faith that we have that is the assurance of things hoped for, the confidence of things to come, again, why we go back and why we know his word, because it gives us assurance, it gives us confidence. So when those fiery darts are aimed at us, they're, they hit the shield of faith. And the faith says, no, I know, I have confidence, I know my God. We yield the sword of the Spirit, having the word of God. And what does John 20 tell us? He gave us his word that we might believe. We shot our feet with the gospel, having been given all, Jesus was given all authority on heaven and earth that we might go and have that authority to preach and to give that good news wherever he has led us. 
So we spread that gospel knowing fully that that authority does not come from anyone else but God himself. So go back, take that fear and place it under what is true. Place it under that knowledge that God has called you. He has loved you perfectly. He has secured you in his son. Nothing can ever take that away. When we remember who God is, we find that rest, that striving that ceases, and it directs our minds back to a state of calmness, of assurance, of hope. It's anchored in who he is. So now with that word, with that reminder of who God is, Jacob heads now from Beersheba to Egypt, right? And uh, verses 5 through 7, Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob and their little ones and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They took their livestock and their property, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and came to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his grandsons with him, his daughters and his granddaughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. God has spoken, and Jacob now obeys, and he is all in. There is not a person, an animal, a possession that Jacob left behind. He brings it all with him and enters Egypt, fully committed to this new, unexpected path that God has placed him on. This text continues on to name and identify every single member of Jacob's family, leaving nobody out. We see that the names were organized by the uh, mothers, and there can be no doubt that every individual was accounted for. But this new unexpected path, are you on a new unexpected path? Are you all in and following him on that unexpected path? Leaving no room, nothing behind? Romans 13, 14 tells us, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. When we follow Jesus, we are all in. We are asked to be all in. And he does that work daily. That is the sanctification process that continues to loosen our grip on this world and tighten our grip onto him. But he does ask us to be all in, and he will be faithful and gracious to walk us through that. Also, in thinking through that part of the passage, thought of Hebrews eleven fifteen through 16, where it says, Indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. If we dwell on what we left, we continue to reminisce about how good it was, romanticizing what it was like, forgetting the bad parts, only remembering the good parts. That first temptation to go back, because the mind's already been there feeding that, it will take it. 
It just needs that simple little nudge and it will go back to where it thinks it was in a better place. So leave it all behind, go all in. When we follow Christ, we are asked to go all in and we cannot serve two masters. We cannot be attached to this world and a heavenly one. But thank God for his grace that is working through the sanctification process in each one of us, right? It is a grace that changes us and transforms us. It is his grace that reveals those things which may, we may be holding on to, that we, meet, we may need to let go of. Because when we do, we know everything we ever need can be found in him. It is his grace that is allowing events or trials to open our eyes to what we are actually trusting in so that we can deepen our trust instead on him and in him. It is his grace that is silent when we are desperate for an answer so that we lean in harder and have to become more dependent in our faith of him. Do you jump, as I do, into, and into taking matters into your own hands when you're not hearing and you're wondering and asking and not getting an answer of the path that you should be on? Too many times I have jumped in to help God because I figured I would know the best way, right? But he asks us to wait because he is doing a work. He hasn't answered maybe because he wants a deeper understanding of trust. That word wait is the idea of a cord being strengthened. A three, as they stretch out the rope, they strengthen it by wrapping each other around, the, each strand around each other, right? So that is what the, the word identifies in our hearts, is a picture of the Lord working and intertwining himself with our hearts so that we have a stronger faith. He asks us to wait because he's doing a work. He is strengthening your faith. He is deepening your trust in him. So trust him for that unexpected path. You may not know why. You may have a lot of questions, unanswered prayers, but trust him and wait. And then he arrives in, Jacob arrives in Egypt, and they enter the land of Goshen. And I originally was going to read that, but since we're running out of time, I'll skip over that. You guys certainly went over that in your study. But they arrive into the land of Goshen. And as you read that passage and studied it, did you imagine the expectation of Jacob rising as he drew closer to Egypt? The excitement of Joseph as he knew his father was coming? Each day they were getting closer and closer to one another? One another. Each day drew father and son closer and closer until that day finally came. Father and son were reunited. What an overwhelming picture of Joseph and Jacob being able to see each other once again. Neither had ever pictured this day, never even expected this day. How unexpected and impossible this day seemed. But with God, all things are possible. 
And what a picture of God's story. His story that tells us there is a plan. He has a plan to restore us, to reunite us, to bring us home. Each day we draw closer and closer to that day when we will once again be reunited with our Heavenly Father. Our sin made it impossible, but His Son made it possible. His Son, Jesus, who died for my sin, He is a provision for my every need so that one day I too will be reunited with the Heavenly Father. So that one day you too will be reunited with the Heavenly Father. Jacob and his family have arrived. They arrive and are directed to go to Goshen. And Goshen, we learned, was the outer fringe of Egypt, right? They were marginalized, basically, because they were shepherds. They were welcomed, but kept at a distance. And these days, as they grow darker, we might not even be marginalized. We might be canceled, so to speak, is the cultural term and response these days. But the comfort is we're okay, because we are not home. This is not our home. This is temporary, and we are waiting, desiring that better country, our heavenly home. As part of God's plan, did you notice what happened here? Jacob and his family was called out of the promised land. They were the very word they had been leaning on this entire time was now turned upside down. How could leaving what they were promised achieve gaining what they were promised? Again, that unexpected path. And this is the paradox of following and dwelling in God's kingdom. You want to receive? Give. You want to be first? Be last. You want to rest? Work. You want to be free? Surrender. You want to rule, serve. You want to live, die. This is the paradox that God has called us to follow him in. The world calls it foolish, but what do we know that they don't? 1 Corinthians 2, 7 through 9, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. God has called us on this unexpected path for this day, for this time. And he has already met the greatest need we ever had through Jesus our, our, excuse me, our salvation serves as his witness. If he can meet that need, he will meet every lesser need. What fear come, keeps you from walking boldly in that unexpected path? Trust him. I want to close with the words of Hudson Taylor, who was a missionary to China, I think this quote of his that I um, read, I love reading old biographies, and there is such um, 
wisdom, but that's not the word I'm looking for, just some, such great encouragement, I guess, of the lives that these men and women lived out. Um, and what he said was, I am no longer anxious about anything as I realize that he is able to carry out his will for me. It does not matter where he places me or how. That is for him to consider, not me. For in the easiest positions, he will give me grace. And in the most difficult ones, his grace is sufficient. Thank you, ladies. Let's pray. Father, indeed, your grace is sufficient. Your grace surrounds us. Your grace has called us. Your grace has provided for us. Your grace meets us every day. Your grace changes us. It transforms us. Grace upon grace upon grace, Lord, you have poured out your grace. We are so unworthy. But you, Lord, who enjoyed perfect unity within the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, invited us in to know that kind of unity, to restore us to you from before time, before the foundation of the world, your son was slain. This is your plan. This is your unexpected path. Give us the boldness and the wisdom to walk this path, to trust you in this path. Father, use your word, use this study, use one another as we walk on this path together to cause our eyes to look up, to remember this is not our home. We ask you for the strength to walk, the courage to speak, and the hands to serve wherever you have called us. We thank you that your grace is sufficient. It's more than sufficient, Father. It is overwhelming. And may we never lose sight of that. 